This episode of the Feminist Survival Project 2020 is brought to you by Crushing It by debut author Lorelai Parker. To pitch her new role-playing game at a European conference, developer Sierra Reed needs to overcome her terror of public speaking. What better way to practice than competing in a local bar's diary slam, regaling an audience with old journal entries about her completely humiliating college crush on gorgeous Tristan Spencer. Until the moderator says, Next up, Tristan Spencer. This exciting new romantic comedy combines humor, second chances, and a good old-fashioned love triangle. Author Lorelai Parker is a computer programmer who, in her free time, when she isn't playing video games, writes romantic comedy. Readers can visit her at lorelaiparker.com, and you can find Crushing It wherever books are sold. Find out more at kensingtonbooks.com. Hello! Welcome to another episode of the Feminist Survival Project 2020. I'm Emily Nagoski. I'm Amelia Nagoski. And Amelia has the Rona. I did. I got COVID. She got the COVID. Yeah. Except, except you did not test positive for COVID. No, I tested negative. So one of the things we're going to talk about is the wildly unacceptable false negative rate, known false negative rate. So technically I have presumed COVID. Technically, it's presumed COVID. It's totally COVID. Uh, We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about symptoms and how COVID can show up not just as sort of the stereotypical thing. We're going to talk about what treatments... The stereotypical thing, the thing that people think is the stereotypical thing, is not it. I have read so many stories about what people it's like, and it's not what they say. It's not what the CDC says. Well, okay. So let us begin at the beginning. Okay. Symptoms. Actually, I think we should begin with how I got it. Okay, yeah, because that's drama. Because I've been so careful because my husband has an artificial heart valve and he cannot get this. So I've been really careful. And also I enjoy isolation. So it has not been difficult for me to stay away from people. Yes. And we have multiple times talked about how important it was for you. And we also, when we did the FOOP episode, one of the things I said was, and this thing is so contagious that sometimes you do everything right and you still get it. And you said that activates like so much rage inside you just thinking about the fact that you can do everything right and still get it. Yeah. And that's basically what happened. Yes. Um, a friend of ours posted a Facebook story that he observed picking up some takeout in a restaurant. They were in the parking lot and two older guys in the parking lot seemed to recognize each other from haven't seen each other. Hey, how you doing? I haven't seen you in ages. And they are drawn together like magnets and they clasp hands and then they realize, oh, right. And this friend who posted this was kind of judgy. Like, did they not remember that there's a freaking pandemic? And I sort of felt the same way. Like, there's a pandemic, people. You don't shake hands with people you haven't seen in 30 years. That's a terrible idea. But then it was Father's Day. And my stepkids were coming to visit, and the boy was getting a ride. He'd been in Boston for several days, and the person who was giving the him a ride- The boy, for the record, is in his mid-20s, just so people don't get like, he's not he's a child. 24. He's 24. Yeah. We'll be referred to him as the boy. Um, so his friend ran out of gas on the side of Mass Pike. So I, I drove to Mass Pike, and I, and I took him a can of gas. And then it only made sense to, you know, to drive the boy the rest of the way back home so that his friend could just, like, head on back to Boston, you know, save him the extra miles. And- In that, I'm going to say it was an hour and a half of getting ready to go and then driving there. I like forgot there was a pandemic. 
because the mothering part of my brain took over and I, it didn't even occur to me that I was going to see people who I haven't seen in months and my mothering part of my brain took over and the idea of risk to me went out of my brain. It did not even occur to me until I pulled up on the side of the highway uh, and they're both standing there on the side of the highway wearing masks. I was like, oh, right, pandemic. So we get some gas in the guy's car and it's great. See you later. And, uh, and I get back in my car and I take my mask off. Just muscle memory, just habit. And, uh, and I realize at that moment that the way people get this is not necessarily irresponsible choices, but just you go into a situation that should be safe, that has been safe more than safe, someplace that's a home base for you. Like this is a kid I've known since, I mean, I've known him for almost 20 years. This is someone who has never been any kind of threat or danger to me. And I just, my brain could not connect the fact that this is a person who might be carrying a disease. Like I just, it didn't feel real. And, uh, and it's cause my heart was like, no, no, clearly not. Because all of our experience says, no, this is safe. Hang on a second. Now, mask wearing is about protecting the people around the person who's wearing a mask. He wore a mask the whole time. Right. So you didn't, I would have thought that the mothering part of you had been like, I'm going to keep my mask on in case I've got this because I don't want to get him sick. Yeah. I think it was overridden by the, I'm in my car. Right. Yeah. Just that habit no, of I, open the door, I, sit down, pull off your mask, put it on. I take off my mask and... when I get in the car pretty much. Yeah. It was just muscle memory. And I, and I realized it was off. I went, oh, right. And then I was like, well, too late now. And my voice has also been, um, it's been hard to talk because I'm on a medication that makes my voice hoarse. So, so it would between, have been hard to talk in the car between the mask, the mask on. and the hoarseness. I was like, I'm just not going to wear it. We were in the car together for an hour. This is my only exposure to anyone within six feet for more than 15 minutes for the past, mm, well, since mid-March. And he was symptom-free. He is symptom-free. Let he the remains. record show. And he did keep his mask on. He did. And you all ate outside, but we he went outside. in the house, into the kitchen, and the bathroom, and he touched some surfaces. Yep. And yeah. I'm sure he washed his hands and sanitized it, and you all did your best. They were all very careful and very, like, aware that their dads, you know, got this vulnerability. And they were they were very careful. And all of your husband's exposure was the same as yours, except for that car ride. Except for the car ride, yeah. So, and it wasn't because you were careless. It was because, like, muscle memory, force of habit, and then you made a harm reduction choice to favor being able to communicate over, yeah, like, 100% total, literally everything you could do. Yeah. You did one thing that was not everything you could do. Yeah. And I Apart think that, from, like, not having people, the abstinence and I, choice. And, and I think the fact that this is somebody who my, my deep in my subconscious, I could not see as a threat. I just couldn't feel uncomfortable enough to make myself take a step towards safety that I might ordinarily have taken with a person who I hadn't known that long, who hasn't been a part of my life that intensely. And so that's how it happens. So that's how it happened. And I have a lot less. I, I really don't think necessarily that it's all happening because people are, you know, irresponsibly like to getting too close together. It's just that in that moment of you're a person yeah. that I'm used to being with, like you just 
you it's uh, you, you can't remember all the time yeah so that surprised me that that happened because i've been so careful in this one moment care disappeared yeah there are different sort of like social energies that transmit infection as effectively as any fluid. So with HIV, for example, stigma is a vehicle for transmission. Mm -hmm. When people feel like it's not okay to talk about protection, uh, when people feel ashamed to acknowledge their sexual behavior, that's a vehicle for transmission. Mm -hmm. Um, It sounds like with COVID, social acceptability and like regular social, I just want to be friends energy is a vehicle for transmission. I think which is I mean more. like I have a lot there's a lot it's an easy case to make like let's fight fucking stigma to reduce HIV. It's a harder case to make to fight like love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have to yeah, yeah, the virus kills through through love. Like or, I long to connect with this person in a way that doesn't feel obstructed. Yeah. Yeah. So And even the fact that the kids were coming was because Malin would have been really happy to have the kids come and it would have really sucked not to have the kids come. Yeah, yeah. It was it was really nice to have them there and to do the Father's Day thing. I baked a cake. It was great. Okay, yeah. so we should talk about then what the actual disease is like probably next. Okay. So how did it start? So... Father's Day is a Sunday. The following Friday, so five days later, I started feeling very typical. Which, for the record, is the median time at which yeah. a person begins to first. Four and a half days is the median time to from exposure to first symptom. Yeah, it's a totally normal expected amount of time. And there it very was. usual. Five days, I started to get that feeling like kind of headaches, sore in the back of my throat, muscle aches, sensation that's very familiar to me that says, I'm coming down with something. Mm-hmm. Um, and because there's a pandemic, I said to my husband, I-, I feel like I'm coming down with something. I'm going to sleep in the guest room tonight just in case. Uh, so I did. And I slept very badly, woke up the next day, still had pretty bad symptoms. The headache, the sore throat, my joints were aching. My muscles, my shoulders just were aching. My skin felt like creepy, crawly, hot and cold. I didn't have a fever. Yeah, well, you didn't I- have any of the three sort of like yeah, classic cough, symptoms. Cough, fever, cough, shortness fever, of breath. And none of them. No. At first. No. You were nauseated for I was, like a couple of days. Yes. Nausea that comes and goes in waves. The fever also ended up coming and going in waves. The joint pain comes and goes in waves, but it comes in like high tide versus tsunami. Like the waves are all big. Just some of them are really huge. The, the muscle pain is probably the worst part of it. Mm-hmm. And I have no appetite. So... From the time I started feeling symptoms to the time I got tested was about 14 hours, which it turns out is way too soon. The It turns out that when you get tested within that time frame, there's like a 38% chance of a false negative. Which and I did not know before you started on this journey. I had not investigated how terrible the false negative rate is. It is extremely terrible. And the like, thing is, if you had waited a couple more days, it would have gone all the way down to 20%, which sure, cuts it in half but to only a one in five chance that your negative test, actually, you have it. But that is absurd. That is insane. It is obscene. It should not be how we're doing things. And yeah. if you feel really good about your state's level of like what percentage of tests are coming back positive... 
it's you 20% not higher. feel good about that. It's, yeah. it's, I wish the math were that simple. Um, yeah. It's actually, I mean, we can talk about the mathematics of false positives and false negatives because it's very not intuitive. I actually and- read an article on um, uh, Nate Silver's website. I know we don't trust him as much as we did before, you know, the event, but he has a whole article about calculating statistics and taking into account false negative. It's fascinating, but it's a lot of math. Yeah, it's, it's pretty complicated. But, but I mean, like the short version is it's way higher. It's way higher than you think. Because it's way test. higher than it's being reported because the rate of false negatives is, I mean, the the best, most optimistic interpretation of the amount of false negatives says it's in 15% false negative. That's the absolute best that anybody could say. This, it's only 15% false negatives and 15 is still unacceptably high. It's one in six. Yeah. And I want to talk about two reasons why it's really bad that you get a false negative. Thing yes. number one is that, well, first of all, if you are not like me and completely paranoid, you think, well, then I don't have COVID and you go about your life yep. uh, spreading COVID to all and sundry. They do tell you, even though even if it tests negative, assume you have it. But like people aren't going to do that. No. <laughs> and the other thing that's hard and about And Malin being- didn't necessarily feel like he needed to take it as seriously when you got the negative test. He definitely felt like, oh, okay, then we don't have to worry about it so much. Which I'm He's- sure is typical. Like that yeah. is much more usual than your I'm staying much more cautious. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that's hard about getting a false negative is it sort of feels gaslighty. Yeah, I have all these symptoms and you're telling me, nope, you don't have that disease. Because you did eventually develop a fever and you got the cough. Yeah. I mean, very, very. My symptoms are so mild. You have had a very gentle case. You're very lucky so far. You're only seven days in? Six? Today's day six, yeah. It's day six Mm -hmm. on the day we're recording this. So by the time this comes out, like, hopefully you'll be out of isolation. But yeah, I felt much better when I woke up this morning. I'm like, yeah, I'm on the mend. And then... I mean, it's midday and I feel a lot worse. So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. But so it is fingers not- crossed by the time this comes out, you'll be. Yeah. Out of, out and of I'll have Rich in the show notes put like the most up to date how Amelia feels now. <laughs> yeah. So the thing that I really want to share, the thing that I feel like I can contribute to the conversation is I was not paying attention to what COVID was like really in depth. I was just, it was on the news and I was watching the things. And I know the CDC kept saying fever, cough, shortness of breath, fever, cough, shortness of breath. No, it's not that. It's not even just that that's not what I had. But after I got home and I went to urgent care and I saw a physician's assistant who was like, oh yeah, this is COVID. This is what it looks like. All the symptoms that I was presenting with, the aches, the pains, the nausea, He's like, yep, this is how it looks when you first come down with the COVID. And I was like, what? I didn't hear anything about that. All I felt was cough, fever, shortness of breath. So I came home and I started reading articles and watching YouTube videos of people sharing their COVID experience. And everybody, yep, I had a sore throat. I had a headache. I was nauseous. I had these body aches, my joints, my muscles all ached. Nothing about cough, fever, or shortness of breath. Not initially anyway. And I was like, I wish I had freaking known that. Yeah. Well, now everybody listening to this knows. Yeah. It's yeah. not necessarily cough, fever, shortness of breath. It's not fever even Fever is the most common. 
that shows up at some point. 90% of people with COVID have a fever at some point. It doesn't mean they start with a fever. Many patients admitted even to the hospital don't have a fever when they're first admitted, but the fever comes later. Yeah. Yeah. The highest Um, my temperature's gotten is like 100.4. There's so a very really, low grade fever. It's so strange, this disease. It's so strange. Uh, because you can have the shortness of breath and feel like you're really struggling to get oxygen, but your oxygen level is normal. And other people can feel like they're basically breathing okay, but their oxygen level is like at a Dangerous. level not compatible with life yeah. is the formal way of saying it. Yeah. Um, so that that non-concordance between how you feel and what your blood oxygen level is, is why I gave you our pulse oximeter. Yes, I have been so that, taking my my O2 levels. And they, if your O2 is normal, but you still feel short of breath, at least you can be like, I'm well, just struggling yeah. for air. I'm actually fine. Yeah. But there's yeah. a possibility that you could be sort of like compensating for the loss of oxygen by breathing sort of like shallow and fast. Yeah. And not even realize you're doing it. Yeah. And that's when your blood oxygen level gets dangerously low. So that's yeah. why you have that. I have been playing with it too. And like, if I just take a big deep breath and like consciously choose to breathe really deeply and slowly and hold the air in my lungs, the the O2 level goes up by a point or two. Cool. It's it's fun. That is fun. Yeah. So my O2 levels have sunk about a point a day until today. It started like 99, 98, and then it was down to 97 pretty regularly, 96. Yesterday it was down to like 95. There was a 94 reading at one point. And I was like, this is not a good trend. But it was still very much in the safety zone. Mm -hmm. And then today it was back to 98. So yay. Okay. That's a really good sign. That's a nice objective sign that I feel good about. Yeah. If it had kept, if it gets below 90, don't fuck with that. (laughs) I I won't. (laughs) Okay. So symptoms were not what you had heard in the news. No. And it turns out. Test reliability, the way it not has pres- what we were led to believe. And the way it presents in people actually is well documented on the internet if you go looking for personal stories about my COVID journey. Yeah. Headache, aches, nausea, huge fatigue, swamping, overwhelming. I just need to lie down. Yep. Now, with these things in mind, looking back to the two or three days before I got the sort of upper respiratory symptoms... I'd been having joint pain for a couple of days. I'd had no appetite for a couple of days. Yeah. I had we, we were supposed to record a podcast on Thursday morning and I overslept, which I never do. Right. So it, it was probably coming and I just didn't know that those were things. Thank yeah. God Malin doesn't have any symptoms. My husband has no symptoms. He's fine. We're six days from my getting symptoms and he still doesn't have any. So yay. Yeah. Just a couple more days and he'll be clear. A few more yeah. days. Yeah. Yay. We're being very, okay. very careful. So we have griped about the test sensitivity. It is woefully inadequate sensitivity of the test. The presentation of symptoms is not at all the standard narrative. But it is the standard narrative if you go for, if you look for the first person stories of like, here's what COVID was like for me. Mm-hmm. What else? Things, now that you've done the whole quarantine thing, how would you recommend people prepare just in case they need to quarantine? And, and I would, isolate. I highly recommend you make a plan in advance. If you get sick, this is how we'll divide the house up. If I get sick, this is how we'll divide the house up. And plan for like how you're gonna get food to one another. Like you have to have a system in order to protect the people who aren't sick, but you also have to like make it possible to f- you know feed the people who are sick. 
uh, and can't go into the kitchen themselves. So definitely make a plan. I we had to like figure it out like in the moment. I got back from urgent care and I was like, I have to quarantine. How are we going to do this? You know, <laughs> make a plan, a conscious plan about what yeah. you're going to do. Now, you're fortunate to have the resources of a big one house. bathroom on both of the two floors of your house. Yes. So we places just put me for, upstairs. to sleep downstairs and places to sleep upstairs. Yep. You, yep. I brought you like a little tiny baby fridge. Yeah, so you so could I can put have like milk in my tea. You have a, an electric kettle so you could boil water to, have to make tea, tea and, and other beverages and cup of soup. and Yeah, cup of soup. You know, I also thought that that cup of soup tasted terrible. And then I realized that my sense of taste was all screwed up. Yeah, it's not just that you have lost your sense of taste or smell. It's that things taste bad. Weird. Yeah. And I have no appetite, so I'm not eating much anyway. So I wasn't really noticing. You have no appetite. Food tastes bad. But you brought me all that cup of soup and I'm like, this stuff is gross. (laughs) (laughs) It's not. It's like just like shockingly because it's just (laughs) salt water and meat taste. It's so good. It's like bitter and metallic. Nope, that's just, that's COVID changing my taste buds. Yeah. Yeah. But Uh, you'll probably never want cup of soup ever again in your life. Well, yesterday in the evening, about eight o'clock at night, I had some leftovers and I don't have enough room in the fridge. Like it's literally like two bottles of milk is what, like little tiny four ounce bottles of milk is what fits in that fridge. It's a fridge designed to hold a six pack. Right. For people's Um, reference. Yeah, it's tiny. So there's not room for leftovers. So I was like, I should eat those leftovers. And I kind of wanted food for the first time in days. So I was like, let me take advantage of this moment and I'm going to eat. And I started eating and it tasted so good. (laughs) And I was like, what is this food? Yum. And then about 11 o'clock, I was like, I'm going to make a cup of soup. And I made a cup of soup at like 11 o'clock at night. And it was so good. (laughs) And I was like, what? So a cup of soup isn't so good. You're starving. I'm literally starving. <laughs> and my taste had finally recovered enough that I could actually taste like just salty, salt meaty, and meaty <laughs> instead of just like that bitter metallic. I was like, why does this taste? Nope. All of a sudden it tasted great. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. So, so you need to make a plan for how people are going to be totally physically separate if they're lucky enough to have the resources that we each have in our houses of a full bathroom on each floor. Yeah. Which that's brand new. Our house didn't have a shower downstairs until this past October. And I just want to revisit the fact that my bathroom renovation started two days before the lockdown. So I had right. no bathroom upstairs. There wasn't even a toilet upstairs. Until mid-May. So. Like they, they started the work at the end of April and they finished in mid-May. So I've only had a bathroom up here for a few weeks and we're very lucky with the timing. The timing is incredibly fortuitous. It's also summer and I don't have to do much work. So, you know, like it's if I was going to yeah. get it, this is the best time to get it. And I've had such mild symptoms. I mean, I say mild symptoms. It's the worst symptoms, the pain. It's very painful. Like my yeah. body hurts. Like you're you're really sick. I'm really sick. But I'm not going to the hospital and I'm not laying here sweating and hallucinating with a fever. Right. It's just... It's uncomfortable. It's not yeah. like the flu, but it's about the same level of illness same and intensity. discomfort. Yeah, it's the same intensity of the flu. Different cluster of symptoms. Completely different cluster of symptoms. I thought I was going to feel like sick, you know? Fluey. Like fluey. 
I do not feel remotely fluey. This is not like anything I've ever felt before. COVID you actually, is its own experience. You said early on that it's like the world's worst migraine. And it, it does have a lot in common with the migraine. It's this whole body dropping into... Yeah. And a lot of people, when they hear migraine, they think it's a bad headache. And that is not... No. A lot of people's experience of a migraine is far beyond just head pain. I was very surprised the first time I got a a migraine. I was like, I thought it was a headache. Nope. Yeah, exactly. When I was diagnosed with migraines, my first thing I said to the doctor was, but I don't get headaches. Yeah. And COVID is sort of like flu is a similar, like you have COVID. No, but I don't feel like I have the flu. No, you don't feel like you have the flu because you don't have the flu. You have COVID and COVID. it is its own thing. Yeah. Yeah. So people who don't have that. the resources of multiple bathrooms, for example, need to figure out plans for sanitization of high touch surfaces. Yeah. Um, need to have a supply of masks, face coverings. Yeah. I would say that separating laundry is a thing that's fairly simple to do. Like the person who's sick just puts their laundry separate from all the other laundry for the duration for Mm -hmm. as long as you're sick, which is 10 days or three days from your last symptom or the breaking of your fever, whichever is longer. Yeah. You just accumulate your laundry in a bag and you do not let anyone touch your laundry but you. I think you are better equipped than most people to avoid laundry for two weeks. Oh, yeah, because I have like 30 pairs of underwear yeah. and I stay in my pajamas for two, three days at a time. Yeah, I I don't have that much clothes and I, I, it's, I, I couldn't go through that much time without doing laundry. I washed my, you know, bare essentials in the sink in the bathroom because I couldn't get downstairs because our laundry is downstairs. Yeah, so I had to do a load by hand in the bathroom sink. But if you can, like, maybe as part of your COVID prep, like, go buy yourself 20 pairs of panties. <laughs> I mean, <Really>? yeah. <laughs> Super soft granny panties. Just, like, excellent, soft, like, panties <laughs> to sleep in. Yeah. And probably some extra pajamas. Yes. And you don't recommend go- six tops and four bottoms? Uh, At least five tops, at least three bottoms. Also, I'm getting it in high summer. I live in a house that was built in 1852 and does not have air conditioning. So you Ano- hot. I'm hot. Uh, another hot. Recommend- <laughs> another recommendation I have is don't put off those little like household projects because once you get COVID, <laughs> you can't do them. One of our little household projects was installing the air conditioner, the window unit air conditioner in our bedroom. That We kept postponing that and it never got done. And now I'm locked in this room and I have no air conditioning. <laughs> Yeah. With a fever. <laughs> With a fever. I have, oh, oh, here's a thing I want to talk about that is part of planning that is great. And that is ventilation. Make sure Oh, you God, have yes. So important. F- like a fan that'll agitate the air in the room and a fan that will blow air out the window if you can't, if it's not the middle of winter when you get it. It is so helpful. Like all of the fresh air exchanging inside air for outside air is really much better. I have never paid so much attention to ventilation and it is really a big difference if you have a lot of air exchange. It, f- it feels so much fresher. It's great. And assuming there's some kind of hallway outside of the room where you're quarantined, you want to agitate the air in the hallway too? You want to blow air across and away from the doorway of the person who's quarantined 
preferably out a window if you possibly can. And uh, when I came over and dropped stuff off, I put a big fan at the base of the stairs, blowing up to agitate the air upwards. Because we know, and one of the reasons why outside is so much better than inside for COVID transmission is because the air is constantly moving and it just like dissipates the yeah. virus yeah. really rapidly. So when you're agitating the air, it reduces the contact that the virus has with people's, you know, mucus membranes. Yeah, because the thing is that the droplets only go six feet, but the aerosols, the much smaller particles that the virus can also travel in, can hang in the air for a long time. So the key is to move the air around so that it doesn't hang in a viral cloud. So it can't cloud. suspend in the exactly. stillness. It, can, it disperses it just and goes away. away really fast. Yeah. 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 So plan for ventilation. It'll really make a difference in how you feel. And also um, it's more sanitary for the more rest sanitary. of the house. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so all the things people were saying in March too about preparedness, have two weeks of food in your house. Yeah. So, because the thing is, even though Malin is symptom free, he's in quarantine. He cannot leave the house. Yeah, we it is enormously delivered. frustrating because he is not sick. He yeah. wants to help you. He yeah. like you. Your test came back negative, but still, he has to be home for 10 days. Yeah. So having the groceries in place, like constantly having, like making sure you've got ten, like at least 10 days, more like two weeks of stuff mm-hmm. for the moment when COVID strikes. Having a network of people who can come and bring you stuff. Fortunately, infrastructure has been built since this started. So you can have much more home delivery of groceries and food, takeout, yes. all kinds of stuff. You can have contactless delivery happen. Another benefit of getting sick now in June, as opposed to getting sick in March and April, when I tried to have groceries delivered in March and April, there was like a two-week wait to schedule a grocery delivery. Now I schedule, I can get it the next morning. Okay, laundry. Groceries. Oh, wait, yeah. Dividing so, the house, you definitely, for realsy, it is worth it to have just like one roll of disinfecting wipes or a bottle of disinfecting spray, even if it's just grain alcohol. Yeah. One thing about groceries is that Another very common symptom of COVID is a loss of appetite. So you're not going to need that much food. You're not, but if your other person who's quarantined is going to be bored off their ass and deserves every kind of their favorite cookies. Absolutely. Yes, they do. Yeah. But once you're in, like, I have like a mini fridge and a bunch of cup of soup, and that's completely fine. It's and enough. you've been getting like periodic, like eating a little bit of. I've had I've had one takeout meal delivered. And your strategy for getting food up to you? Malin leaves food on the stairs, and I scurry down like a raccoon and snag it, and then scurry back up, spraying Lysol behind me. And you wear a mask, right? I wear a mask. Yeah. Yeah. And I hold. And you back. have masks. I have masks as part of my. I'm quarantining now. I like made a sweep through the downstairs and collected everything I thought I would need, like my purse and my wallet and my my masks. And I just, you know, a big pile of stuff. Yes, masks were part of what I brought. So it's valuable for people to like think through like a list of what do I need to have in the room with me, assuming I cannot leave that room except to go to the bathroom for two weeks. Yeah. I want to talk about the bathroom for a minute also, because we had yes. the, we just had this, um, awesome bathroom renovation done but our toilet started leaking on my second day of quarantine so i had to sanitize the bathroom so the plumber could come in and i wouldn't get him sick um and if you are sharing a bathroom with someone because you only have one bathroom in your household 
you're going to have to sanitize every single time. And I, you know, we all make choices, right? And I think that having those like disposable antimicrobial wipes is perfectly fine in the circumstance. I have sprayed with hydrogen peroxide and I also have just plain old Lysol and our grain alcohol spray is downstairs so I don't have that. But honestly, if you can just like wipe things down with an antimicrobial wipe, it's so much faster and easier Mm -hmm. and you can do it every time you go in. I also want to say one more thing about the bathroom and that is when you flush, close the lid. Close the lid. Plume. Plume. When you flush, like everything's aerosolized and flows into the air. Fecal plume. Just when you flush, close the lid. That's just good advice in general. Before you flush. Before you flush. Close the lid. Yep. It's good advice. Thanks for sharing. And grab yourself antibacterial wipe and uh, just wipe everything you touch. And keep a fan on in that room to circulate the air. If you can open the window and have it blow air out the window. That's what I did. And and do it every time you go in there. And if you are the non-COVID person taking care of a person but sharing a bathroom with them, you wear a mask into the bathroom. Yeah. Period. You don't brush your teeth in that room. You brush your teeth in the kitchen. In the kitchen, yeah. Where the COVID person never goes. Yeah. Right? So, like, I... Like, I recommend, like, I love this idea of, like, making a plan, think through what your day looks like if you're the caretaker versus if you're the COVID person. Rich and I, when I was thinking I would need to come down a lot to your house, which it turns out I don't have to do, but we were thinking we would divide entrances. We have a front entrance and a side entrance. Mm -hmm. He was going to take the side entrance, which goes into the kitchen and the downstairs. Mm -hmm. I was going to take the front entrance, which goes into the stairway and goes right upstairs. Mm -hmm. So we would never share door handles. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, that was the kind of planning we we do when we're yeah. thinking about how are we going to divide the space. Yeah. How can we reduce contact with shared surfaces? How can we reduce contact with air and fabrics? Yeah. Make you a plan. Don't think it's going to be like how you, in terms of symptoms, how you thought it was going to be. Yeah. Don't get tested until day three. The three of symptoms. Three to five days is the most accurate, but even then. But even then, it's only like 15 to 20 percent chance of yeah, a one in six chance at best of coming back with a false negative. So even if you get a negative result, treat it as though you have COVID. I mean, I even read a paper that said that symptoms are a better predictor of infection than the test. And what irritates me, like I'm going to go off on a little bit of a public health rant here, but because your test came back negative, you do not have any of the support of the contact tracers. They are not contacting you to find out who your close contacts are. They are not helping you to understand what your responsibility is in terms of isolating yourself. They are not contacting your close contacts to let them know in a serious way what their responsibilities are in terms of quarantining. Like all those services are denied you. Uh, Massachusetts, where we live, has just asked for volunteers to leave the contact tracing force because they have too little work to do. (laughs) They don't have too little work to do because we don't have enough cases. They have too little work to do because the false negative rate is too fucking high. Yeah. And so you are not getting all that support you should have gotten. And my, we told my stepkids, you know, Amelia thinks she has COVID and I was like, y'all should get tested. And they were like, well, we'll wait to see if your test come back, comes back positive. No. They definitely are not taking it as seriously. Because and you know what? The difficulty is that like you think you got it from the boy. He was asymptomatic and continues to be asymptomatic. And honestly, the odds of a false negative from an asymptomatic person are just ridiculous. 
Yeah. The possibility of him actually getting a positive test when he has no symptoms, it's probably not worth him taking the test anyway. True. But he needs to walk around the world like he's just an asymptomatic carrier. Yeah. He needs to pretend like he's typhoid fucking Mary. When I was encouraging them to get tested, I had not yet read this data on the inaccuracy of the tests. So yeah. after I read that, I was like, all right, fine. They shouldn't get tested because if they get sick, it's not gonna be very then they'll know. Anyway. Yeah, it's not going to be helpful anyway. Yeah, then they'll think they're actually negative. Oh, and I just read an article about how Cornell University thinks they're going to be able to keep students safer on campus because they're going to be able to control their behavior and test. They're going to test. They're going to make sure everybody gets tested. They're relying on the accuracy of these fucking tests to keep people safe. Yeah, I guarantee you there was not a health educator in the room when that discussion happened. I think there was no professor in the room. Nobody who actually works with students was in the room yeah. when they made that decision. Because any of them would be like, so let's just do a reality check on how college-age humans behave. Exactly. Like, have you ever talked to a 22-year-old? They get drunk and make out. So. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. You can't control they because they think they can control their behavior better on campus than if they were just oh, taking classes online. No, no, no. no. Dad. Yeah. Oh god. There was a lot of confirmation bias at work in that decision. Yeah. There was there was a, a lot it's worse than just confirmation bias. It was them Oh, oh I'm sorry, Olive. Just is your life hard? Oh, your <laughs> life is so hard. No. Uh, it was worse than confirmation bias, in my opinion. It was that they decided that they can control students' behavior, and therefore, if students don't behave according to the rules they set, the students are the fault. Right. The yeah. students are the problem. The yeah. students, they, well, I mean, they just didn't follow the rules. It's like abstinence-only education, where they're like, well, you just shouldn't have had sex. You know what? People have sex. <laughs> so they need to know how to prevent it, and you need to, like help create an environment that makes it easy to make safer choices so i mean the primary thing i think i can offer people is to let them know to make a plan because i mean we're all going to end up getting it right this thing is super contagious and eventually we're all going to get it oh the other thing you learned uh is that there is no treatment specific to this infection yeah all they can do is like palliative like take some advil take some tylenol and um, you know, if things get worse, give you oxygen. Yeah, they can treat they can, symptoms. They can treat while symptoms. to support your body while it fights the infection. They yeah. cannot help you fight the infection. They they cannot. There's no antibiotic, antiviral that actually that actually fixes the disease. No. And you know, multiple people, healthy people in their 30s who ended up hospitalized. Hospitalized. One very healthy young, like maybe in his late 20s very healthy like works out a lot super strong a professional singer so like he knows how to breathe and he knows how to do the breathing exercises high school choral director hospitalized almost died in the hospital this is like way back in march when they didn't know anything about what to do they were going to intubate him they ended up putting him prone and discovering that that really helped and that saved his life yeah prone means lying on your stomach and one of the things that science has learned is that lying on your stomach when you've got this thing is better for your breathing. I've been sleeping on my stomach at night and that, that is it's definitely better. Yeah. Cause it turns out the bulk of the volume of the lung that's affected is basically in your back, which people, people like me who don't know anything about your pulmonary system. I don't think about my lungs as being in my back. I think about it as being in my chest, but really a lot of it is in my back. 
Yeah. So sleeping on your stomach. Yeah. So the main thing that, okay, two most important things that I want to make sure that people know. One, you're going to get it. We're all going to get it. So make a plan about what you're going to do, how you're going to divide your space up. I don't know how I feel about that message. No? I mean, it's sort of fatalistic and makes people be like, I might as well, because Anderson Cooper was talking about this, like I might as well get it over with. Mm-hmm. But the longer you can wait to get it, first of all, you're helping to like spread out the infection across a larger space of time. So you're not overwhelming hospitals in case you experience severe illness. But also the longer you wait, the more science knows and the better the treatment will be. And maybe the higher quality of the testing will be. And like s- they're learning things so fast. But I think especially in Massachusetts, people have the feeling that, oh, it's over. I'm not going to get it now. Do they? I'm the wrong person. Like I knew how COVID presents that it's not a cough, a fever and difficulty breathing. Despite I knew. He says. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I read way beyond, cause I read the peer reviewed research. I knew that it's highly, highly infectious. I knew that there is no treatment. I did not realize how inadequately sensitive the test is. I did not realize the high false positive rate. Yeah. Apparently it's calibrated for the people who are in the hospital who are yeah. so sick, their body's so full of virus that that's the, that's the viral load that it takes for the test to recognize that you have it. And that, that's what Emily means when she talks about sensitivity and calibration. So that, that, it, that it is enraging. It's, yeah, it's, I'm, it's I'm a, enraged. Like, I'm so angry. Like a, I'm so like angry. A, what, what are they called? The thing that senses earthquakes? Seismograph. That's the one. So the test is like a seismograph. That, that only, only detects a seven. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you live through a five earthquake, you're like, that was a fucking earthquake. And the test and the is seismograph like, is like, no, nope. that, that, no earthquake there. No. Nope. Nope. Yeah. Yes. That was actually a nice, clear description of what test sensitivity is. Well done. I have been reading about it. A lot. <laughs> I just learned this stuff in the past few days. Oh, I was like, that was very clear and good. Well done. You could teach a public health class. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you've been watching YouTube videos about test sensitivity and specificity. I have oh, also I been see. reading the peer-reviewed research. <laughs> That's how I knew about the 38% accuracy. It's like specifically to the number of days since I've been exposed, the amount of time since, I, since onset of infection, that puts me squarely in the 38% false negative category. And it is new that that research has been remotely covered. In the media. Yeah, so... Yeah. Uh, and I like have been trying not to pay attention to the news because it's making me feel helpless. But now I feel like I need to keep paying attention because I'm going to learn shit that's going to help me for the moment whenever I get it. I went into your house for the record. If you are an outside the household caretaker for somebody with COVID, don't be an outside the household caretaker for somebody with COVID if you can avoid it. That's the goal. But Amelia needs a little extra, a little extra help because Malin is so vulnerable to severe disease. Um, and so I was like, he needs to not climb the stairs ever. Cause just no. Mm-hmm. So I took the task of like carrying things up the stairs on that first day. I wore goggles over my glasses. I wore an N95 mask left over from a paint thing that we did in the house a few years ago. And I covered it with a non-medical non-woven ma- mask disposable to protect the N95 so I'd feel comfortable wearing it again if I need to reuse it because I've just got like two. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I wore gloves. 
because I have a balance disorder. When I walk up and down the stairs, I hold onto the walls if I possibly can and the banister. So I knew I was going to be touching surfaces uh, so that when I left the house, I could take off the gloves and sanitize my hands and feel like they were not in any kind of contact with any infected, any surfaces that might have come in contact with Amelia's fluids. Yeah. I just went up the stairs and Amelia kept her door closed. I piled stuff in front of the door. I yelled, here's a sandwich. Here's your stuff. <laughs> Malin tried to have a conversation with me and I was like, bye. Nope. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, my husband went down and delivered some extra stuff that was not on the initial list. So another thing to another list to have is like what stuff that we need to have in the house that we won't necessarily have adequate quantities at the time so that when COVID strikes, we know this is what we're going to need more of. The standard party line around public health issues like this is prepare for the worst, mm -hmm. hope for the best take what comes okay so prepare for the worst you might not get it but act as though you are ready yeah there i mean literally the government emergency preparedness website is called ready.gov yeah and back in february when this began to happen and i was looking at the data and going hmm this is going to be a major thing i went to ready.gov and we created safety kits survival kits. It's not that I thought like the power is going to go out because of COVID, but I thought like, how do we be prepared? And that included stuff like taking into account, like having clean clothes and having access to food. But the precise kind of emergency that coming down with COVID symptoms is, is a specific and different kind of emergency. So okay, think so through what it would actually be like in your household, I guess. I'll tell you what the things are that I needed to make sure I had and wish I, what I wish I had more of. Okay. A, a slightly larger fridge. And I needed my blender because I have these meal replacement shakes that I drink when my endometriosis shuts my digestive system down. I have these meal replacement shakes and they have been a really helpful for this too. Cause even when I can't or don't want to eat lots of nutrition. Okay. So blender, refrigerator, like a hundred pairs of panties, like six pairs of pajamas would be great. An electric kettle sounds like an electric kettle a big bottle of naproxen and ibuprofen, thermometer, pulse oximeter. What else have I been using every day? Oh, those little like saline nose wipes. Those have been great. So like wet wipes for your nose, not wet, wet wipes, wipes, but, but wet also, wipes for your nose. Also wet wipes and also antibacterial wipes for surfaces in the bathroom. So maybe in the show notes, we, you can like make a list of like yeah. Amelia's COVID preparedness list. Yeah. Just her suggestions. Yeah, kind of stuff that I, I was not ready.gov. I was, oh shit, I, I am put it so ready.gov. Ready yeah. And again, this is another one of those things where I didn't realize what you didn't know. I didn't yeah. know you didn't know what the presentation often was like. I didn't know you didn't know that there was no treatment for the infection itself. I didn't know you didn't know to have a supply of whatever. Yeah, I, the thing is, I thought I had a supply of whatever. I thought I was kind of ready. And not. you were not, I was not terribly unready, but you were not, not very ready. ready. No. Yeah. I have masks. I, and when in March, when you were like, this is going to be a thing, I went to the grocery store and I bought multiple gigantic bottles of ibuprofen and naproxen and Tylenol 
and and stuff like that. So I do, I am ready for that. And you were already prepared on the toilet paper front. You have auto delivery of your eco-friendly, scratchy-ass fucking terrible pa- toilet paper that I hate. Yes. Yes. I get the eco-friendly recycled toilet paper delivered in boxes of 48 rolls every few months. Colorful paper had, wrappings, but like, I it will tear just, your shit up. And I... I had just had a delivery early in March. So just I was for like, the record, everybody, Amelia's really? toilet paper, if you go to her house, just take your own. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think everybody's ass is as sensitive as your ass. No, it's true. Not everyone's is as sensitive to mud. But when I was in grad school, I was sufficiently stressed out that cheap toilet paper literally made me bleed. And ever since then, I have been like profoundly attached to having really awesome toilet paper we we maybe don't need to include all this i think we should definitely include like toilet paper matters people have a lot of feelings about it it has been in the news so i would say like have a pack of rolls of toilet paper that are like your emergency covid supply so that the person with covid doesn't have to share the communal role and if there's idea. ever a time that you're going to splurge and get like the fancy fucking toilet paper, let your emergency COVID toilet paper, like you are in bed with COVID for 10 days, you are alone, like let your luxury be the best toilet paper money can buy. You Just also six are rolls of it. city septic. I have a private septic in my backyard. That's also handle the fancy toilet paper. So not everybody's got access to that option. Yes, your mileage may vary. <laughs> yeah, so I thought I was prepared and the things that I thought I would need were not the things that I ended up needing. So you did need some of those things. Some of those things, it was not a direct overlap. So yeah, we'll definitely in the show notes include like a list of- My list of my stuff that makes living in a bedroom possible. Yeah, and of all the things, like you definitely can't sleep in the same room as somebody with COVID. Yeah. You, you can find a way to share a bathroom. Yeah. If everybody in the household has masks, which everybody should because you can just wear a cloth face covering and that does a whole lot of good. Yeah. Anything else I, you want to share with the people about your COVID experience? Uh, my case is very, very mild and it fucking sucks. Yeah, your case is very, very fucking mild. Yeah. Like you're... Blood oxygen never went below 90. Nope. You do not have a hacking, gasping cough. You're not hallucinating with fever. Nope. Totally just a low-grade fever that comes and goes in waves. And it's still, like, what would you say, top 10 illnesses of your life? Oh, for sure. Easily top 10. Real bad. And you've been hospitalized multiple times. I've been hospitalized multiple times. I I was so sick in high school. I had strep my entire freshman year of high school. So they had to remove my tonsils because they were holding on to the strep infection and keeping me sick. I had strep and pneumonia and bronchitis all at the same time. And they were like, we just need to take your tonsils out to solve this. Like I have been sick in my life. I am the sickly, you know, sibling who like gets all the disease that the other siblings don't get. Like that was me. I've been so sick. And this is, this is definitely top 10. I don't think it's top five, but it's definitely top 10. And yours is extremely mild. Yeah. So people who are not as used to being unwell as you are, yeah. 
people whose immune systems are not so fierce as yours yeah. is and people who's for whatever reason genetics whatever you also have like the blood type that's protective against right. severe disease like you get lucky in a yeah. lot of ways yeah and it's still fucking terrible and i i do have a higher tolerance for illness like because you've been hey so how sick. you doing and i was like oh i'm fine i just have like muscle aches and my joints ache and a terrible headache and my throat is sore and the cough comes and goes and the fevers and you're like yeah that's not okay you're very like, unwell <laughs> it's like well i have no appetite but i'm you're like i've gone to work sicker than this i literally have that doesn't mean that's this. good that doesn't mean that it was okay that you did that <laughs> i know yeah jesus christ yeah uh, okay so it's terrible people so, might get it People should plan to get it and still try to delay getting it for as long as possible because the longer you delay, the better the treatment will be, the more we will know about it, the better the, the more uh, correct the test for it will be, and the more helpful medical support can be. And the more prepared you are, the easier it is to just cope with all the symptoms and to manage them as best you can. Yeah. It's and harm reduction, harm reduction, harm reduction, prevention. Nobody's perfect. You tried real hard not to get this. Yeah. And it happens. Yeah. Yeah. And I get it that, you know, you drop your guard because your brain says you're safe. Because um, you're with people you care about and trust. Right. Yeah. Oops. And it feels a little rude on some level to... Yeah keep those barriers up and keep the barriers yeah when people matter that much no the you. kids kept apologizing for how distant they were being and how i'm sorry i'm just trying to be careful like you don't have to apologize we know and it's so great that they did that yes it was great <laughs> <sighs> yeah and everybody just needs to wear a mask because you just do not know you do not know if you have it i hope the boy is walking around assuming that he has it and wearing a mask and washing the fuck out of his hands yeah. He definitely is. Okay, good. Well, I hope you feel better. <laughs> and I'm only saying it for people who are like, damn, Emily, way to be a bitch. <laughs> well, I mean, you drove down, you brought me a mini fridge, you brought me a box of wine, you brought me... Ginger stuff, which All helps that. you to feel less nauseous. And, and the, um, the pulse oximeter. Right. And the and all that Lipton Cuffasive, literally so six boxes. much. That's of twenty cup of packets of Lipton Cuffasive. That is way more than you will ever need. That cup of soup has been like my primary food. <laughs> that's disgusting. That's so. That's like the saddest thing about this whole situation is that you are living on those fucking cup of soup packets. Well, and my cachava, you know yeah smoothie blender things and i didn't even give you bouillon broth concentrate to enrich the cup of soup yeah that's fine yeah i figured you didn't need more nutrients <laughs> no totally i mean you just need to like swallow calories yeah i need to get calories down and also god i'm so thirsty all the time no matter how much i drink i'm always thirsty that's weird yeah. That's not a symptom I've heard of. Thirsty um, all the time. Is that just fever? No, I looked it up and apparently the, the like dry throat, constant thirst oh. is a thing. Oh. My, my, my uh, psychiatric nurse practitioner also said that she had it. Yeah. 
Have the Ricola helped at all? I have not used the Ricola because I've just been drinking like instead because I figured there's no harm in drinking more water. Well, for sure. They do say to drink more water. But the Ricola is numbing. No, maybe I'll try that then. See if that helps. So while you uh, hack up your other lung, Mm -hmm. I will wrap us up. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I know Rich is going to use the toilet paper stuff as the tag at the end. I already know that. (laughs) This has been another episode of the Feminist Survival Project 2020. I am Emily Nagoski. I'm Amelia. Uh, if any of this writ- was written, it was written by us. Uh, any music is by Amelia. She's not singing these days because COVID. And if it was edited, it was edited by my marital euphemism. Uh, have you had the COVIDs? Have you had the corona? What was it like for you? What did you learn when you had it that you were like, well, I wish I had fucking known that before? Is there anything that we told you here that you're like, I am definitely going to use that information should I get the corona? Are you feeling like, well, maybe I should just get it over with? Don't feel like you should just get it over with. You should definitely delay. You should postpone as long as possible. It may be inevitable, but it's like death. Sure, it's inevitable. That doesn't mean you're going to walk in front of a truck tomorrow. Right? Right? I don't mean that sarcastically. Death is inevitable. Maybe COVID is also inevitable. That doesn't mean you walk out in front of it and they're like, come and get me, COVID. No, you wait. You want to live without it for as long as possible so that when you get it, the infrastructure around you is as positive as possible. Imagine waiting to get COVID until Trump is not president anymore. Won't that be better? Wouldn't that be better? That'd be better. That would be better. I have no idea what we're going to do next week. It depends on how Amelia is. We will keep you posted on the Instagram for the podcast, which is at FSP 2020. Until then, we'll talk to you later. And uh, thanks for listening. So just for the record, everybody, Amelia's tail- toilet paper, if you go to her house, <laughs> just take your own. <laughs> The Feminist Survival Project 2020 is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.